Hi guys, very excited to share my conversation with Mr. Patrick O'Connor, who is a lifelong family friend and was one of my dad's best friends. Patrick is one of the founding partners of Cozen O'Connor Law Firm, which was founded in 1973 with five lawyers. Today, 47 years later, there are 29 offices globally and 750 lawyers. We start out the interview by talking about Patrick's childhood. He was born in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and one of 10 children. His father passed away when he was just 15 years old, so his mother, who became his hero, stepped up to raise the 10 children. Patrick then went on to King's College in Villanova for law school. At age 30, he took a risk and left a prominent law firm in Philadelphia to become one of the founding partners of Cozen O'Connor. He tells us all about his gritty entrepreneurial journey at building a company. Fun fact, what Cozen O'Connor made in one year in 1973 is now equivalent to what they make in just half a day. Patrick has also been on the board of Temple University since he was 28 years old and also was a chairman of board of trustees for 10 years. So Patrick not only talks about his career path, but also sprinkles in so many universal life lessons, such as the importance of failure and humility, the art of listening, taking risks, the definition of success, and his love for his wife, Marie, his four children, and 12 grandchildren. Hope you guys enjoy. So welcome, Mr. O'Connor, to the podcast. Very excited to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why I'm excited. So um, you were best buddies with my dad. And That's... for the listeners that don't know, he passed exactly one year ago. I know that. And so I always remember you guys laughing. So you made fun your, of each your, other Your a lot, father but... was one of the great human beings I met in my life. And he, uh, his greatest quality was his optimism. Mm-hmm. He was a very optimistic man. He saw the good in everyone, not the bad. Right. And he had a lot of great friends. And, yeah. Uh, truly, I miss him. He was a, truly a great man that made me laugh a lot. Yeah. Uh, so at any time when you're down in life, if you have friends who can make you laugh, mm-hmm. you can get through a lot of things. Yeah. So I like that. Um, and then a couple other reasons. I think you have a really inspiring success story that I think will be able to help a lot of listeners. Um, and like we just talked about, a lot of your friends have been featured. So right. Billy Cunningham, Eus Wolfington, Marty Gillen. Um, a lot of great people. Good people. And um, a thank you to your daughter, Kara. She, I know all your, um, all your kids. I like them a lot. Uh, but Kara and I caught up last night. She gave me a little bit of background. Very proud insight. of my children. All four children are great people. Mm-hmm. They're all different, but they're all happy. Mm-hmm. And to me, happiness is the quotient, not right. success. Yeah. If you're happy, you're very successful, mm-hmm. and you'll have a great life. Everyone, yeah. If you're unhappy, you got to fix it. Yeah. Uh, so it's not all about money and success and cars. It's about having good friends, mm-hmm. being able to laugh, being able to listen, to learn, being able to help mm-hmm. people when they're in distress so they can help you when you're in distress. Definitely. I like that. And you need mentors who can guide you through life, whether you're a lawyer or a doctor or a, a business person or a teacher. Right. You need someone you look up to. Exactly. Um, so I thought we'd start out. So obviously, you know, you've got the great success story. You're one of the founding partners of Cozen O'Connor. And you were there since the very beginning when there were only five attorneys in five 1973? Attorneys, yeah. I joined Steve Cozen. Okay. My lifelong business partner in 1973. Okay. And I was 30 years old, mm-hmm. and he was 34. Okay. And there were five of us. And what I tell people is what we made in a year, we now have, we make every half day. 
Wow. So, but they were the good years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like when you're lean and mean and you're just starting out and trying to, uh, and no one knew us. No mm-hmm. one knew who we were. Right. Uh, but they got to know who we were over time because okay. we were competitive. We were good lawyers. He was a very good lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then people became attracted to us. Okay. And they wanted to join us. Mm-hmm. And good lawyers kept joining us and we right. kept growing the business. And then. And now, fast forward to 2019. I read, correct me if I'm wrong, there's um, 29 offices and 750. 750 lawyers. lawyers and uh, we're in London and in Toronto. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, we just had a meeting last night and the firm is doing extremely well. That's amazing. We're now into the third generation of leaders, which is very difficult to do when you have two entrepreneurs like mm-hmm. Steve and I started. It's very difficult to give the reins over. Right. We were able to do that. And I was CEO. I turned it over to Tad Decker. Okay. Uh, we've turned it over to Michael Heller. Okay. Michael's been CEO for about, I think, five, six years. Got it. Done a great job. Um, I definitely want to dive more into the entrepreneurial when you guys built the company. But before we do that, I think what's kind of cool is that you came from very modest means. Um, so can you provide the listeners with a little bit of background on where you grew up? Okay. So I, I grew up in Kingston, Pennsylvania, which is right across the river from wilkes Okay. Near Scranton? Of, near Scranton. Okay. And uh, I, my father died when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And we had 10 children. And my mother was a housewife. And she, to support the family, got into politics. Mm-hmm. And she became registered of wills of Luzerne County, the fifth largest county in Pennsylvania. And she was elected to nine straight terms for four years. And the story of my life was that after my father died, we had very little money, but we didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were happy. Um, We were a religious family. We were hardworking. Mm -hmm. We all had jobs. I had jobs since I was a paper boy. Okay. And then... I worked at food fair and we all worked. Mm-hmm. So to alleviate the burden that my mother would have on uh, supporting us to whatever degree. And it was, there were adverse times in our lives, but my mother had to bear the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. And I always remember growing up, I never wanted to disappoint my mother. Right. Okay. So it was kind of a driver for me to be uh, as good as I could be in whatever I could do. Okay. And I, I became, I tell people I used to get, in fourth grade, I was probably the dumbest kid in the class, F's and D's. In mm-hmm. fifth grade, I was the smartest. Whatever happened, Right. God knows. Yeah. And it was uh, growing up there with 10 kids. Um, Where'd you fall? I was fourth. Okay. Uh, you learn to give. Mm-hmm. You learned to be quick in the bathroom. We only had one bathroom. Yeah. You learned uh, uh, the value of life mm-hmm. uh, and what was important. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those things was education. Mm-hmm. Because to me, education is the greatest lover. Right. Wherever you're from, if you get a good education, you can do anything in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was fortunate to uh, get a scholarship to King's College, which was in Wilkes-Barre. Right. And then I was fortunate to get another scholarship to Villanova Law School and uh, became a lawyer like my father was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I intended to go back home to Wilkes-Barre mm-hmm. and practice, but my mother gave me great advice. Okay. Uh, 
she said, if you come home and you're successful, mm -hmm. you'll always wonder about what if I stayed in Philadelphia? She said, go to Philadelphia. Okay. Stay in Philadelphia. If mm -hmm. you don't like it, you can always come home. Oh, right. It's very difficult to go from Wilkes-Barre to Philadelphia. Okay. It's easy to go from Philadelphia to Wilkes-Barre. Right. So it was that advice that I uh, got a clerkship with the federal court judge, chief judge. Then I went to Pepper Hamilton and Sheets for five years. Okay. And I had a case with Steve Cozer, and we were going at it. Right. I thought I was the greatest lawyer in Philadelphia. He thought he was the greatest lawyer <laughs> in Philadelphia. Yeah. We admired each other, and he offered me a position. And after much thought, I took it. Right. And it's At 30 years old? 30 years old. Okay. And I never looked back. So that was 1973, as you said. Yeah. There were five lawyers. The firm name was Orlowski, Cozen, and Beecher. Mm -hmm. People didn't know who we were. Okay. But they got to know who we were. Right. And now, the, over time, the firm now is Cozen O'Connor. But uh, And then when did you meet Mrs. O'Connor? I met her on a blind date in my uh, third year of law school. Mm -hmm. uh, she was uh, introduced to me by Marty McGuinn, one of my dearest friends, mm -hmm. who's former CEO of Mellon Bank, and Patty Gorman. Okay. Patty Harrington. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to a football game. Mm -hmm. I was very attracted uh, to her, as, yeah. as everyone who knows my wife mm -hmm. would understand that. Definitely. I don't think she was as attracted to me, which was <laughs> annoying. She didn't fall in love with me. And we had, uh, we dated for about uh, three years. Yeah. And then we got married. Okay. And so when you were 30 and you joined um, Steve Cozen, did you have any kids at that point? Yeah, we had Lauren. And uh, Lauren was born when we were in the apartment. And then we probably had Edwin. I think Edwin was born before 73. So we had okay. two kids. Got it. And one other question I wanted to ask you. So I read somewhere that you said your mom was your hero. She's clearly my hero. And okay. My, uh, 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 all through my life, as I said, I would always want to please her because she had such a, a difficult life from mm -hmm. my standpoint. But yeah. from her standpoint, she was a very religious person that got okay. her through a lot of adversity. Yeah. And uh, she would place her trust in God. She would uh, take a lot of hits and march on and right. uh, never lamented her station in life. Okay. And always looked on the good side. And... and taught us by her example. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, I never wanted to disappoint her, and uh, I'm sure we did on occasion, but uh, any success we had, I think, was borne by, and all 10 of us were educated, and mm -hmm. we, did, we were doing quite well. I think it's a product of my mother's okay. example and courage, and uh, she had great stamina. Uh, you can imagine, she was a high school education. Mm -hmm. And she had to go out and went to the fifth largest county, her first campaign. Yeah. The votes cast were like 67,000 to 65,000. Right. It, there's like six states in America yeah. that don't have that many voters. Right, right. And mom won. Yeah. And uh, she wasn't trained to do that. But she right. became a great register of wills because she cared about the people. Yeah, I love that. She was, she was just a marvelous, marvelous woman. And uh, she's been the guidepost to my life, yeah. which is... I'm fortunate to have. Right. 
because I really didn't know my father. I mean, I was yeah, too young. Yeah, 15, yeah, he that's was really a very, young. very smart lawyer. Yeah, so he was an attorney, so that inspired you to become an attorney? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I looked at what he did, and I thought, I was interested in politics. I mm-hmm. wanted to be governor or president or something. We used to walk across the bridge to King's College and talk about who would be president, who would be governor, and who would be senator. We had right. these major dreams. Okay. Which... I found fascinating. Right. We're in a little town, mm-hmm. and here we are talking about all these things. So yeah. I grew up in politics. Okay, got it. I met governors and senators, and uh, got to know them, and I, I liked the good they could do mm-hmm. for the people. And uh, but then when I decided not to go home, mm-hmm. whatever political chance I had uh, was ended, and I. I focused on becoming as good a lawyer as I could be. Yeah. Um, Okay, so jumping now to Cozen O'Connor, when you were 30 years old and you guys were building that company, can you talk about the entrepreneurial spirit that you guys sort of put into building it? We, 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 there were five of us, and Mm -hmm. we knew what everyone else was doing, and we Mm -hmm. helped each other. If you had a case and you came to me and I had some insights, I would give it to Mm -hmm. you. We rooted for each other. Okay. Uh, we were all trial lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing little insurance work. Okay. But we started to get very, very good at it. Okay. And and we were not afraid. We call ourselves trial lawyers, not mm-hmm. litigators. We were not afraid to try a case. Okay. People picked up on that and would come to us with their cases with a big insurance book of business. And gradually, other lawyers in the Philadelphia area seeing our success came yeah. to join us, and okay. by luck, uh, we grew. Mm-hmm. They were also very good lawyers. The business grew, and the irony is, uh, we were very happy to be in Philadelphia. Right. But what launched us? We were one of the first national law firms out of Philadelphia, which launched us. Uh, two lawyers from Seattle mm-hmm. came to see us out of the blue, and they said, "I hear what you guys are doing." Right. We'd like to do that in Seattle. Okay. And we went out, and we our first office was Seattle. Wow. And what then, year was that? Like, I, I'm guessing about 1980. Okay. And then we then we had a client in San Francisco, and, uh, and this is how things happen. Mm-hmm. And he said uh, he was going to give us all the business. It was Fireman's Fund. He was going to give us all the business in the East Coast. Right. And I said, you know, we have an office in Seattle. I said, oh, we'll give you all the business in the West Coast. Right. Well, that was California. Okay. So we needed an office in California. Okay. So we tried to persuade one of my partners to go to uh, L.A. Right. He said, I won't go to L.A. Okay. I'll go to San Diego. So we started in San Diego. Okay. Now we're in San Diego, L.A., and San Francisco. Right. So by virtue of all those, then I, I had a case in South Carolina. I met a great lawyer. Uh I said, why don't you join us? Right. He did. Uh, started our South Carolina office yeah. down in North Carolina. So it was a, uh, was it planned? No. Mm-hmm. It okay. was serendipitous. Mm-hmm. It was, you'd meet lawyers yeah. across the United States. They got okay. to like you. You got to like them. Okay. They wanted to join you. We had opened the office and it, it would go from there. So it sort of evolved. Evolved. And then exactly. 1995, Steve Cozen, uh, Decided and I agreed that we were going to move from being a, uh, an insurance boutique litigation firm, okay. which we had a national reputation for, to go to full service. Okay. Meaning we'll do corporate work, labor work, estate work, IP work. 
and we were able to persuade some very, very good lawyers from Wolf Block to join us in 1995. Okay. And that started our full service practice. Got it. And okay. then we grew up on that. And now our full right. service practice is much more than insurance uh, litigation. So right. it, uh, again, evolved. Yeah. Um, so when you were managing all these attorneys, what did you really look for when you were You look for character. You, you look for people. Uh, we had a... Uh, an expression, you know, if you meet mm -hmm. someone and, and they're, they're, your instincts tells you that mm -hmm. they're not you, right. we would never hire. Okay. Uh, so you had to be, um, you had to fit within our culture. We were a family. We've considered okay. ourselves a family, mm -hmm. not a law firm. We cared about each other, their kids, their wives. Mm -hmm. And if we saw someone came in who was uh, not of that nature, we would never hire them. But okay. people... Uh, would be attracted to us because of that culture. Right. And uh, it was a unique culture. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it started with Steve and, and our wives. Our wives loved each other, too, mm -hmm. which was very important. So it, um, it kind of evolved. And, and we, we rarely made a mistake with people, which mm -hmm. was fortunate. Yeah. You, know, you can have people who are disruptive. They right. can become a cancer. Yeah. And that didn't happen in yeah. the early stages. That's great. So if you have a career and you see someone who is disruptive and you're spending, Billy Cunningham told me this story one time when he was coaching. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I was coaching and I was spending 80% of my time with these two disruptive players who weren't really adding to mm -hmm. my success. And I'm saying, what am I doing here? Right. I'm going to spend 90% of the time with the rest of the team who's right. making it go. And that's good philosophy for anyone in life. Yeah. You know? I like that a lot. No, it's it's a it's a good focus to have. Definitely. Now, sometimes yeah. people are in pain and you gotta deal with it. Mm -hmm. But if they're disruptive and not happy toxic. and you're spending all your time yeah. toxic is yeah. a very good word. Move on. Definitely. They should move on and you should move on. Right. Because it will take your company down. Right. So. Um, another question I had, I always bring this up in the interviews. Um, one common theme I've discussed is the word grit. So Angela Duckworth, she's from Philly and a professor at Penn. She wore, she wrote the New York Times bestseller, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And she kind of gave life to this word grit. I know people have used great, it. True grit, right? Yeah. Isn't there a movie like True Grit or something? Yeah. I'll look that up. You got to, I think, John Wayne. <laughs> yeah. I think. I'll look it up. Um, so a quote from the book is, to be gritty is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. To be gritty is to hold fast to an interesting and purposeful goal. To be gritty is to invest day after week after year in challenging practice. To be gritty is to fall down seven times and rise eight. So I wanted to ask you what the word grit means and how you applied it to those early days of building Cozen O'Connor. Yeah, I mean, I think what you read is, is pretty impactive. I mean, grit is... Look, you have to believe in yourself, mm -hmm. and you have to believe in in what you're doing and that you're good at it. And I remember uh, when I was a young lawyer, uh, I'd won like five cases in a row, and then I came across a case I should have won and I lost, mm -hmm. and uh, I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I kind of lost my confidence. Okay. Maybe, maybe I can try a case, mm -hmm. and uh, I think I lost the next one too. Mm -hmm. And grit is like, at the end of the day, walking into that third trial mm -hmm. and believing in yourself and maybe you win that trial and you get it back. Yeah. Anyone who hasn't failed uh, lies. Mm -hmm. We all have failed. 
Right. We've all had setbacks. We've all had, we've all made some mistakes. Uh, and the, the gritty person learns from those mistakes. Mm. It, it's a guy that gets knocked down in the arena and gets up again. Mm-hmm. Or a woman who gets right. knocked down. Yeah. It's like the Teddy Roosevelt uh, quote, quote yeah. when you're in that arena. There's a lot of people outside it and yell mm-hmm. and scream, but they've never been in the arena. Right. And have failed and got punched and, mm-hmm. and come back. Your father was uh, 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 one of the grittiest persons I ever met. Mm-hmm. He, you know, life wasn't easy there. He had mm-hmm. to pound his way. Every week, like if you're in real estate, mm-hmm. you're gonna have a lot of a lot of setbacks. A lot of setbacks. Yeah. And you, when he was trying to raise money, it was like mm-hmm. he worked for a year, but right. he never, never let go of his goal. Mm-hmm. And here's what he created. Yeah. So young people and and older people uh, have to take uh, uh, failure in mm-hmm. the correct sense. There is no everyone fails. Everyone yeah. has mistakes. Everyone lose is something they want Mm -hmm. but it's getting up right i I think i learned grit from my mother she lost her husband she Mm -hmm. had 10 kids she was very young no money she got through it right every day you take it a day at a time and that that's great Mm -hmm. there's one quote i like which i was telling you before earlier um from john wooden he says all good things come through adversity that's very accurate yeah very very accurate he also had a quote uh, that my late friend Lewis Katz, mm-hmm. whose picture's there about uh, something about helping other people. It, it, it's a it's a it's a philosophy of life about mm-hmm. doing good turns for other people mm-hmm. and and asking nothing in return. Right. That's the ultimate prize in life mm-hmm. when you can do things and have no expectation of a return of what you're doing. Yeah. Whether it's helping someone in dire straits or someone helping that needs some uh, mental fortitude. Uh, uh, a lot of challenges mm-hmm. in your uh, generation right. that we didn't right. have. I mean, yeah. this internet's the most brilliant thing, but it creates havoc because the one thing I tell people is when you have a difficult conversation or a conversation, don't mm-hmm. do it by email or text. Right. Pick up the phone, mm-hmm. go see them, look at them face to face. I've seen so many wars of words on text or on text and emails. Mm-hmm. People are eight feet tall. Mm-hmm. I say when I was running the firm, and I would mm-hmm. get it, come see me. Yeah, and I'd say, please don't send me an email. Right, let's, let's talk about this, mm-hmm. and you talk through it. So the one advice I'd give to your generation is listen have more face-to-face meetings, mm-hmm. have more dialogue. You can resolve things a lot easier face-to-face mm-hmm. than you can by email. Yeah. But it's so Agreed. easy to text it and say, well, I got that off my yeah. chest. And then there's this war of words. It's terrible. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln used to um, he used to write handwritten letters. When you would get in a confrontation with somebody or you know some sort of dispute, he would write a letter and then never send it. So get well, out his emotions. And we've then... done we've done that on occasion. You look mm-hmm. at something, you say, "I'm not going to send this," but I yeah. feel better that I've said it. But mm-hmm. the other lesson in life is when I get a handwritten letter, which is rare nowadays, mm-hmm. I read it very, very carefully. Right. So if you want to make an impression on people, the a text, a handwritten letter, is such a, a forgotten gift. Right, you goes have a long to way. Think about what you're saying and write it. 
and said it. It's very meaningful. Mm -hmm. So some of those values of our generation, I'd like to see your generation pick up. Pick up again, yeah. um, But again, the art of listening and the art of speaking face-to-face -face, mm -hmm. is probably the best advice yeah. I can give anyone. I agree. I actually interviewed um, Mary Frances McCourt. So she's the CFO of Penn. She's a oh, member wow. at Philly Country. Wow. And um, she said that whenever she's in like a dispute via email with another employee, she right away says, why don't we meet for lunch? That's smart, says, that's smart advice. Yeah. And it because you have resolved. all these wild imaginings about mm -hmm. this and you, you look at a phrase and you could have meant it in a good way and I take it in a bad way and then it escalates and mm -hmm. then uh, you, you don't talk to each other. Right. It, it's a mistake. And yeah. uh, even if you have difficult things to do in life, do them face to face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Always. I agree. Um, and segueing into giving back, which you were just talking about, um, I'd love to talk about um, your time at Temple. So for the listeners that don't know, you were chairman of the board, right? Yeah, I was there for... Which is I, really prestigious. I was the youngest trustee in Temple's history because a, a friend of mine appointed me to the board when I was 28 years old. Mm -hmm. That's before I joined Steve Kozer. And um, I was fortunate to get scholarships when I had no money to King's College and Villanova Law School. They enabled me to... Gave me the tools to become a lawyer mm -hmm. and led to the success, whatever success I've had as a lawyer. I've always appreciated the fact that they were scholarships given mm. to me. They were gifts that I needed to repay. Mm. And my whole philosophy and my wife's philosophy is education at the, at the grade school level, to the high school level, to the college level. Mm -hmm. And I was blessed to be, I was on several college boards, but mm -hmm. Temple's experience was uh, a lot of, people of little means go to Temple and they mm. get a great degree. And our mantra is not only to provide scholarships there, which we do, mm. but as a trustee to keep tuition affordable. So all these, we have 40,000 students at Temple. Mm. And it, it's a microcosm of America. Right. I'd like to bring America to Temple and yeah. say, see how all these different people mm. interact like each other. Mm talk to each other, learn together. Right. Uh, instead of throwing bombs or, or whatever we do in America mm. now in terms of our politics or our right, right. difference in social mores. Yeah. So Temple, as a, as a young kid when I was 28, I watched what they did mm. and, and their mantra and they were their streetcars. And the, the, the fellow who succeeded me, his father was a shoemaker. They were gritty. Mm -hmm. They were gritty. gritty they, they, yeah. We call them Temple Made. They came, right. they have jobs throughout college, so when they graduate, they have jobs. They're right. not in some protected environment. Mm -hmm. And it, I learned so much from watching the kids right. and listening to their stories mm -hmm. and to be able to help them in some small ways. Yeah. Inspirational. We do the same with Christo Ray is a great. Oh, yeah. My, great. my niece is the principal there. Oh, she and, is? Yeah, and St. Malachi. Yeah, she's she's Flannery O'Connor. Okay. And St. Malachi's in North Philadelphia. The You teach people uh, how to fish. Mm. You don't give them to fish. Yeah. And that's what education does. Right. So our educational systems in some major cities and elsewhere failed our kids. Yeah. And we have an obligation to make sure they get a good education. Definitely, yeah. So Temple was, I don't know, still on the board, but it's very, very inspirational. Yeah. Now. 
I love that. It was it was given. It was able to give back at a very high level. Because mm-hmm. Temple, I called King's College on steroids. And so mm. King's is very similar. King's was founded to educate coal miners' sons. Right. And uh, that's how it started. Now it's uh, obviously co-ed and doing very well. But uh, I've watched uh, what education does mm-hmm. and admire the great teachers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I had great teachers in, even in grade school. I can mm-hmm. remember every one of their names. Mm-hmm. And um, they opened up my eyes and taught me a lot. So. Definitely, yeah. One question I just thought of, which is sort of interesting, is that I mean, you guys started in the 1970s, 1980s. What was it like without the technology back then, the phones, the laptops? Well, no one else had it. I mean, you know, I remember when we first had voicemail. I said, what do we need voicemail for? It's yeah. such an absurd concept. When did voicemail come out? It's like early in our careers. Okay. It was, uh, but you know, you had to write, um, you had to write letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were much more civil as lawyers to each other. Okay. You know, we were, uh, it was, it was easy. I mean, everyone else dealt with the same culture. So mm-hmm. we didn't know any better. Right. You know, I mean, we used to have mimeograph where you'd get the, the mimeograph machines, you, you know what they are? No, I actually don't. Let's <laughs> be honest. They're, they're, they're copiers. Okay, got it. And they're yeah. they're dirty copiers. Yeah. And uh, no, we didn't have faxes. We didn't have email. We wrote letters. Uh, we uh, dealt by meetings. phone. We oh, face-to-face. Yeah. There was none of this email stuff. Right. Now it's all email, and mm-hmm. it's a whole different culture. But yeah. emails have created a lot of problems and in that people think that they disappear into thin air they never disappear and sometimes they regret them but it was you know it's like we did a lot of uh i used to write my briefs on a Mm -hmm. yellow pad and handwriting wow that's crazy yeah and i did when i would give closing speeches i would have this yellow pad and i'd have all my thoughts and i'd refer to them yeah for the speech or the closing speech or the opening speech or for my cross-examination. Right. A lot of, a lot of yellow pads and ink yeah. pens. I remember when my dad got the car phone. That was a big deal. Car phones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, life has just changed, changed dramatically yeah. in the iPhone and the mm-hmm. iPad. And now you go to meetings and everyone. The, the one thing I, I would uh, that I've observed is, and I've seen this with families mm-hmm. and I've seen this with people, and I react very strongly to it. If I'm in a meeting with you and you're looking at your iPhone, mm-hmm. I'm not very happy about that because right. we're having a meeting and I'm talking to you and you're checking your messages or doing whatever you're doing. I find right. that to be rude. I see it with families in restaurants. Yeah, Everyone has their iPhone and they're not talking to each right. other. There were times when we were growing up with my mother, of course we had no iPhones or yeah. tele- telephones, where we'd sit at the, the, the table Right. And you would talk about yeah. what occurred that day, what you learned. Mm-hmm. And my wife, Marie, did the same thing with our kids growing up. Mm-hmm. And it was very useful. Yeah. There were no no distractions. Right. And even when the phone would ring, we had designated hours when they could talk. Otherwise, the phone would go all night and they could yeah. never do their studying. So you have to impose some Discipline. reasonable rules yeah. so you can operate as a family and as mm-hmm. a person. Yeah. And, you're, and if you're not listening... You're never going to learn. Right. If you're talking all the time. Yeah. Good for you, but people people don't enjoy that. Yeah. It's not a good quality. Jay Wright had a good quote. He said, well, I don't actually don't know if it's his quote, but he says it's his uh, players and his coaching staff that you have two ears and one mouth. 
So listen twice as much as you speak. Well, Jay, Jay to me is an inspirational man. And, mm-hmm. and by that I mean, and he's a, a friend of mine and mm-hmm. I have great admiration for Jay. If you watch Jay mm-hmm. at the highest level of coaching, right, and you watch him with his players, yeah, if he takes a player out, watch him. Okay. He gently has a conversation, mm-hmm. a positive conversation. Right. He's, he's someone to watch mm-hmm. because I think basketball coaches probably have one of the toughest jobs. They have to oh, make yeah. decisions within there's 30 seconds left mm-hmm. or 20. And you're a football player, baseball right. player. You have a little more time to think it through. You watch him. He's, uh, I've always watched him with his, with mm-hmm. his men. Yeah. And uh, he's an inspiration. He said on um, when we had our podcast together, I think he said that after a big game, there's a loss, and he has to go speak to each one of the players. He um, he always asks them first, tell me what happened, like tell me what went wrong, and then that helps him sort of formulate his you know guidance to them. But he always lets them talk first. No, he's 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 good. He and he and he has a great program and an honest program. Yeah. I admire him greatly. Mm-hmm. He's done great things for that Villanova and Father mm-hmm. Peter's another hero of mine. Yeah. He's a great man. Do you know Father Rob Hagan? I know who he is. Okay. I see him on the sidelines at the basketball games. Yeah. I've met him once or twice, but not really. Yeah. He was on the podcast. He was great. A lot of so. great a lot of great people. Yeah. So. so it's good. And then one question I have for you, too, um, is showing your value, you know? Because a lot of people that are tuning in are in their 20s or 30s, um, might be at the start of their career trying to get to the next level. And so what are ways that people can show their value? You know, I, I may say, uh, I may use my son Paul as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Paul a lot. Paul's a, a very young entrepreneurial man. Paul mm-hmm. went to Richmond, then he went to, got a master's from Hopkins, and mm-hmm. then he got an MBA from London. And he was supposed to be in the biopharma, pharmaceutical okay. business at a high level. Mm-hmm. And he had some bumps. He, yeah. he couldn't get traction. And he came home one day and he said, uh, I want to get in business with my best friend, Patrick Barton. Right. And we're going to buy apartments. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought to myself, that's good for him. Because mm-hmm. Paul doesn't like a lot of these barriers. Right. And he got into this business with Patrick, and they're mm-hmm. doing very, very well. Yeah. It's not what he was, quote, you know, his mission would, given his education, he wasn't supposed to go down this line. Right. But he went down that line, mm-hmm. and he's happy at yeah. it. And successful at it. So I'm saying, you know, Keep your eyes open for mm-hmm. opportunities, okay. and if they appeal to you, if you're in your 20s, follow them. Yeah. But follow your, do what makes you happy. Right. Don't do what makes you successful. Because mm-hmm. if you're doing stuff that, quote, makes you wealthy, mm-hmm. you're not going to be happy. Right. If you're not happy, you have an unfulfilled life. Yeah. So kids, whatever they do, if they're happy... Mm-hmm. And enjoy going to work every day. Right. I, I meet a lot of people. Some of these lawyers. Well, why are you in law school? Yeah. Well, I did well in my LSAT. It's not a reason to go yeah. to become a lawyer. Right. Go to law school. Yeah. Do you want to be a lawyer? What kind of lawyer do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Where do you want to? Where, where's your fire? Yeah. Not because this this means I must want to be a lawyer. No, right. You gotta you gotta follow your dreams and mm-hmm. and your skill set. Mm-hmm. Like you're a great interviewer. Mm-hmm. You're thoughtful. You could be a you should be on television. We'll Because <laughs> you're thoughtful mm-hmm. and you let people talk, but mm-hmm. your questions are, are a good question. Mm-hmm. Got to inspire kids, you know, and you got to have, you got to have good friends that are able to tell you when you 
misbehave or are not acting correctly, mm -hmm. like, hey, this is not you. Right. And you got to listen to them yeah. and trust them. And when you do good things, you got to have friends saying, wow, what a great thing you mm -hmm. did. Right. We're so proud of you. And right. uh, so, you, you know, you, you, you see all that with successful people and how they are. And your family's been a, a, a true example of that. Mm -hmm. Your uh, your mother, you you have a great mother, too. Mm -hmm. uh, having great mothers is an inspiration. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, always, she's done great this always, past year. All you young people, honor your parents. Mm -hmm. Love yeah. your parents. And one other thing to add, too, you were saying about following and doing what you love. I think you, Wolfington said it. He said, do what you love and then the money will come. Yeah, because yeah. you'll be successful. Whatever you mm -hmm. do, and, and whether it's money, I mean, you know, we, we all hope yeah. you do well. But happiness is so much more important. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when I was young going into, now I can go to all the greatest restaurants in the world and have the finest wines and do whatever I want in whatever city in the world. But yeah. I tell you, I, I recall back when I was a poor kid going into a restaurant and having yeah. spaghetti. Oh, I thought I was king of the world. Yeah. I kind of miss those. Right. I miss those days. Yeah, The spaghetti sure. days. Uh, the, uh, they're, they're interesting times. Mm. I don't want to take too much of your time, so I have a couple of rapid-fire questions you got it. to end it, which are fun. I'm 32, but when I started this podcast, I was 30, so I always said, I always ask people at the end of the interview, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? It's like 30. When I, when I was 30, I joined Steve Cozen, mm. and... At the time, no one knew who he was or what the firm was, right. but I knew him, and yeah. he was a great lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I followed that instinct mm -hmm. instead of going with a, I was at a very prominent firm that everyone knew. Okay. And I went with Steve Cozen. Took a risk. And now our firm is larger okay. and more successful than that prominent wow. firm. Yeah. And it's following your instincts, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. If you have a gut feeling, you say, you know, this... This isn't right. Right. It's not right. Mm -hmm. I mean, go where you feel it's right. So yeah. you're doing this. You're meeting interesting people. You're in real estate. Mm -hmm. You'll get to know. You'll learn. It's like osmosis. I learned from yeah. a lot of people along the way that okay. gave me advice. Right. You know, if you want to call someone, don't have mm -hmm. your secretary call the person you want to talk to and okay. say, Mr. O'Connor's on the line. You get on the line so he can talk to you. Yeah. It's irritating. Right. I did that once, and I okay. got chided by a very highly respected lawyer in Pittsburgh. I never yeah. forgot it. Never yeah, did yeah. it again. Right. So <laughs> it's follow your instincts. Um, listen to mentors who can guide you when you're in a specific business, like you're in real estate. Mm -hmm. I mean, some are developers. Right. Some are leasing agents. Mm -hmm. Some are managers. Yeah where your strengths are right exactly i like that so and then another one this this sometimes stumps people so don't worry but if you could put um one phrase on a billboard what would it be be true to yourself okay i like that that's good and then one last question if you could give one book to every person you met what would it be you know what i don't think for me the one book for all is the answer. Mm -hmm. There are a number of books I would give to different people at different times in their lives. That's a good point, Depending upon yeah. what their needs are. Right. You know, some would say the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolfington said that. Yeah. Well, the Bible's probably something. Uh, but if I could give one thing 
to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's that plaque that you read on oh, my wall, Desiderata. Right. Everyone should read that. Okay. I read it every day. I'll put it on and, the show and, notes. And by the way, it's it sums up mm -hmm. life's experiences. Right. And it was given to me by my mother, by my mother. So it's a, a, a point in, in that sense okay. that it meant so much to her. But that's what I would tell everyone. So you tell everybody, everybody yeah. I'd give everyone that. So there'll be notes, Prayer. show notes, and I'll make sure to put that, because it is a great quote. I like it. Well, that's what I would give everyone. Yeah. I mean, I don't care whether you're a Buddhist, Christian, whatever, Jewish, follow that. Mm -hmm. You'll be a happy person. Right. I like that. You'll be fulfilled. Okay. Well, I think that's it. That's why it's there. Great I think job, we covered it. High five. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much. Thank you.